As we look today in the book of Jeremiah, uh, the book of Jeremiah found in the Old Testament after Isaiah, uh, this, is a, a, this is a big one here. This is a big book. There's a lot to it. Uh, I'll just give you a couple of similarities. You know, as we look through this survey of the scripture, um, this is this overview. I'm going to try my best to get through this overview in a, uh, in a, in a respectable amount of time. Um, but the book of Jeremiah, I want to tell you just a little bit of background behind it. So we, we talked last week about Isaiah, which, by the way, uh, I, I went and listened to the recording of the Isaiah. I know I did not feel great last week, and so I went back and listened to it. I don't know if I was on cold medicine or what. I'm sorry if it didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, the, my notes made sense, but whatever came out was rough. So maybe, maybe uh, we can see a little bit something better in Jeremiah today. But uh, as we look, so Isaiah lived through the um, Assyrian period, right, of the northern kingdom, whenever the Assyrians came and uh, took uh, the northern kingdom, Israel, into captivity. And uh, so just as Isaiah lived through the Assyrian period, um, Jeremiah lived through the Babylonian period. So there's a, that's, that's a good uh, contrast for us to see that these prophets were living in a time where the, those world powers were exercising some authority and dealing with some things. Now, if you, rem- if, you, if you remember much about our study in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you'll remember Egypt starts to play a part uh, in, in these world-dominating stories. Egypt comes up against Judah a couple of times, um, and Egypt kind of flexes its power. But ultimately, Babylon is what takes over um, and, and takes Judah captive. Do that in a three-session, uh, three, three-step succession. They take it in three different groups, which we also know later on there's a remnant that returns in three different groups. Kind of cool how, how God, God is, uh, re- rewrites stories, right? He rewrites stories. Um, and so in the book of Jeremiah, he's living in that time whenever uh, Egypt was kind of messing around with, with Judah. And uh, there's a couple of kings that get um, uh, taken captive and uh, replaced. And there's some political moves that happen. So Jeremiah is known in the scripture. Most uh, theologians call Jeremiah the weeping prophet. Um, and the, the weep, he is, he is um, sad for what, what comes. He also is uh, noted for writing the book of Lamentations, which is uh, another reason he's noted as the weeping prophet. He's a sad guy. Um, go read the book of Lamentations and you'll see. He is, this guy's just, he's messed up. Um, Isaiah, we're doing a little contrast. Isaiah, uh, his, his good um, king, if you remember the story that's in the scripture three different times, King Hezekiah's battle uh, where the Assyrians came up to Jerusalem. The, the, de- the angel came and killed a bunch of the Assyrian soldiers, 185,000. Uh, Assyrian soldiers died that night. Um, Hezekiah's uh, reforms and things were, were good. Uh, he was uh, Isaiah's godly king in those, in those uh, periods. And Jeremiah had a godly king named Josiah. Uh, so Josiah was the godly king of Judah whenever uh, Jeremiah was there. He saw five kings on the throne of David. He saw Josiah, Jehoahaz, uh, Jehoahaz Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. Uh, he lived about a hundred years after Isaiah. Now there's some, there's some uh, overlap in some of that, but uh, it, it, was a, it was a good generation past, good generation and a half, uh, two generations past, um, that Jeremiah lived after Isaiah. Uh, and so he, he knew, um, one of the things I think about whenever I jump into a survey, especially of a minor prophet or a major prophet, I think about uh, their life, where they grew up, how they grew up, and uh, what time they grew up, and the stories they must have heard. You know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I've heard stories, you know, when I was growing up, um, and even today, my grandfather is, a, is awesome. I love this man so much. And he has some, he, the reason I love him so much, one of, the, one of the great reasons, is he's got incredible stories, like incredible stories. He's 84 years old, and um, he can tell me about a time that's just different. Like he just, he just can. I was talking to my daughters last night. Uh, we were, we were uh, eating some dinner around the table. And they were talking about who they were texting this, that, that day, earlier that day. And I said, you realize I didn't have a cell phone until I was 18 years old. And they didn't even text back then. 
to which I felt like an 84 year old sitting in my kitchen because they were like, what? Are you kidding me? What? I was like, yeah, I was like, used to when we would get on the internet, you'd hear this sound and I'd point it over to Chris and she would be like, yeah, and the sound sound like this, you know, you know, all the sounds and they were like, well, what did you do all day? And I was like, well, it's, let's see, it's 630. I said, usually I'd, I guess I'd be outside what normal people would do, right? We'd be out playing ball or running around the woods or shooting each other with paintballs or whatever. And my girls were like, well, that's, you know, welcome to civilization now, dad, you know. But I, I feel kind of like a grandpa when I'm talking to them just about my old, you know, they're like, oh, dad's old stories, you know, back whenever they were living in the caves. Um, but one of the things about people in the scripture, I've, I've realized this about generations, all, generation, all generations will hear from the former generations and hear great cool stories. I, there's not a single person I know that hasn't, hasn't told me about some story of their grandparents or their, uh, their past or their parents or the way they grew up. You know, my, my dad walked to school both ways in the snow uphill, right? Like that, that's, that's, the, that's kind of the joke of every generation. Jeremiah lived in a place and his, his family, we're gonna talk about where they're from in just a minute. He lived in a place where he would have heard the stories of of Isaiah. He would have heard the stories of King Hezekiah. And, you know, I know we're like, that's a hundred years ago. Well, it's still, it was, that was prevalent within uh, Judah's history. Like this was a big, big deal. Like this was one of the greatest battles ever. This is what you learn in history class, right? It's like, oh, a hundred years ago, we saw the Assyrians destroyed at the city gates of Jerusalem. You know, and so Jeremiah is growing up with those stories. He's hearing those things. Um, and he, he knew how, um, uh, how he was going to throughout these uh, so he was growing up hearing those great victory stories then he's called into ministry to do this and then here's what the, the Lord tells him in the first chapter they're not going to listen to you son they're going they're going to have closed ears it's going to be like you're yelling at them they're going to have their fingers plugged in their ears and they're going to hate you it's like wait hold up that's not that's not the mission trip I signed up for Lord like where about Isaiah and Hezekiah and how the all the all the Syrians died like that was let me, be, let me speak into that kind of stuff. And God's like, you're not going to be wrong in anything you say, but you're not going to be listened to by at all. Like the people are not going to, they're just not going to do it. Um, whenever the, uh, uh, the people of God would, I mean, he's told this. So even Isaiah, even Jeremiah knows what's, what's about to happen. Um, the people of God would not listen to him. Uh, even the time, listen, here's what's crazy. In the first part of Jeremiah, we're going to look at in a second. Even the times that people were, changing their behaviors under King Josiah. They were changing the behaviors, almost like listening to him, right? They were almost like, oh, he said to do this, so we're going to do this. But their hearts weren't changed. So it was very short-lived. It was very um, uh, surface level. So even Jeremiah, would, and he knew it. He knew that they weren't going to last. He knew they were superficial because he kept hearing more and more prophecy about what was coming. And it was not, it was doom and gloom. Like it was, it was rough. Jeremiah's book I encourage you, Liz, I went through this thing a couple of times uh, working up to this, and it is hard. I mean, it, it is. If Jeremiah was here today and he starts telling me this stuff, I'm mad at him, right? I'm like, I'm like dude, give me a break. Like, this is all bad news. Chill out. Um, he was, uh, and here's, here's part of the things that we see about Jeremiah. He was, uh, he was God told him not to marry. Uh, he saw the, some of the deepest hold of idolatry and corruption. Uh, he, he wrote the book of Lamentations, which you can go and read and just, he's lamenting over the city that he loved and the people that he loved. Um, he was born during the days of Manasseh, the wicked son of Hezekiah. Uh, he was very young when he was called to prophecy. Um, and so born in a spiritually corrupt time, like Manasseh was the worst of the worst, like coming from Hezekiah who did great reforms and good things and revival. Then his son was just the worst of the worst. And then at the end of, of that is whenever Jeremiah's uh, was was born at, at the very end of that uh, reign, and so there was uh, uh, there was there was just season after season after season of frustration and and bad and darkness, and Jeremiah is born, and so he's, he grows up with this. Uh, he was called. He was told by God that the people and uh, all of the and in the in the way the nation of Judah was set up, there's a lot of people. Okay, and so they had different little uh, cities and different little uh, groups and communities. Each little city or group had, little, uh, had, had leaders, right? So they had princes and they had priests in different places. They had different people. And basically God told Jeremiah, the priests are not going to listen to you, the princes are not going to listen to you, and the people are not going to listen to you. 
They're just, they're just not. Like, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have problems. You're going to have some issues. Um, he, we, but he also knew that they would, uh, they would oppose him, but God was going to be with him. Which, again, there's stories of contrast throughout the Bible. We see that this is a hard thing, that uh, people are going to oppose you, but God's saying, but I'm with you. So as long as I'm with you, you win. We're good. So we see, we also know a couple things about Jeremiah. He had 41 years of ministry. We see that in the very first book, the first chapter. Uh, we, we can see a timeline of whenever he started his uh, prophecy days to the days uh, that it ended. I mean, it's even got the, like down to the, uh, the month of the day of the time of the fifth month um, in Jerusalem. So we know he, he had 41 years of ministry. Uh, I'm not even 41 years old yet, so that is forever, right? We're going to just say that's forever. Um, so he, he, he ministered longer than I've even been alive. Um, the people of his hometown, uh, which we will see, uh, is uh, where his parents were from, his family was from. They were the first ones to oppose him. They threatened to kill him if he didn't stop prophesying. Uh, they saw him as a traitor. They saw him as a guy who was, uh, as, as the a police term would be, they, they saw him as a guy that were aiding and abetting the, the enemies of Judah. So he was, he was prophesying to things that were allowing the other, other people to win, right? And people thought, people were like, Jeremiah, stop saying these things. He's like, but the Lord's telling me to say them. And they're like, if you stop saying them, maybe they'll stop happening. And he's like, that's not how this works. Like, I don't, I don't control that. It's all, it's all God that controls it. So his family, his hometown was the first place to oppose him, threatened to kill him. I'll say this. This is this. I consider uh, Lenore City, Loudon, my hometown. Nobody's threatened to kill me yet, so I'm thankful that I haven't been opposed too badly here in my hometown. Um, Jeremiah preached the message of doom. He delivered it faithfully. He was persecuted for it. He was ignored. He was ridiculed, misunderstood, treated terribly. And here's the other part that we that we just kind of gloss over. God forbid him to marry. So. Imagine having a job and a career and a life where you're opposed, you're mistreated, you're misunderstood, and you go home and you're alone. Like that's, that's no wonder the book of Lamentations is so sad. Like no wonder his writings are so broken. I mean, he was lonely. He was a lonely guy. I, I, people always say ministry is a lonely place, but there's, at least you have a, a, a I have a spouse that I can go home to and I can be like, hey, you know, ministry feels so lonely, but I, my wife is least supportive. <laughs> you know, my wife is like, she's there to console me as I'm crying in her lap, you know, petting my head. Um, you know, Jeremiah didn't have any of that. He was, he was alone and he was, um, he was mistreated by everybody. He loved Jerusalem. Uh, I don't know in the scripture, um, and this is, a, this is just my opinion. I don't know in the scripture, there's a person that loves the city of Jerusalem more than Jeremiah. Like he loves this city. And then the contrast, he ends up being called a traitor for the city. Like they, because people just don't understand. They don't understand God's ways. So Jeremiah is this guy, loves the city, loves the people. Um, and it is just frustrating. Now we're going to jump in. We're going to fly through this today because, uh, well, well, we'll see. We'll see what flying through means. Uh, chapter one, we see the call of, of Jeremiah. Uh, and we see that Jeremiah immediately starts resisting that call. He starts holding back. He says, whoa, 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 I don't think I'm your guy. I'm not the one. Uh, he's got a little bit of hesitation. So God gives him a couple of things. First thing he, we see, um, a couple of symbolize, of symbols that God shows him. So basically God's like, hey, I want you to think, tell me what you see. And he says, well, I see an almond tree. He's like, absolutely, that's right. Almond tree. It's the, uh, the almond tree, some background information about it. This first chapter, by the way, sets up um, really the theme for the whole book because this first chapter is, is his call. It's his call to ministry. It's what he's got to uh, base, everything, base everything on. So when you're called into ministry, um, you see something amazing. God's calling you to a very specific work. Um, and God doesn't ever uh, revoke his call um, on, on a life of a person. Now, a person can, can forego it and a person can, uh, can turn away from it, but God is, is calling him to do something. So he, he gives him these two pictures. One's an almond tree, and the other is a boiling pot. And so there's, there's, a, there's some symbolism to that. The almond tree is the very first tree that awakens after winter. So it's the first tree that buds and, and awakens after the winter season. Um, and so I, that's, that's the symbol for Jeremiah that this, what, what you're going to be doing is going to be talking about things that are coming quick. 
These are, this is the first sign of this. This is going to happen quickly. Uh, and the second uh, picture he sees is the boiling pot. And this is uh, symbolizing the eruption of the Babylonians into Palestine. How this is going to, um, it's going to, it's going to erupt into this and it's going to be like a hot boiling pot. It's going to be tough. Um, I, I will say in the first chapter of Jeremiah, uh, God says the word against so many times. I'm against this, against this, against this, against this. I counted seven in the original language, and there's some, depending on the English translation, there's a couple times it's translated a little bit differently, um, but seven different times in just a few short verses showing that if, if the people are in opposition to God, then God's man is going to be in opposition to the people, and they're going to be in opposition to him. Like there's, there's no, you cannot be with God and then his enemies be okay with you. That's what he's saying. He's like, if these people are against me, they're going to be against you, Jeremiah. They're going to be against you too. And it's okay. I'm with you. We're good. So um, this, it would be a tough, tough season uh, that, that they would go through. Now, so the first chapter is all about his call, all about stuff's going to happen quickly. Stuff's going to happen in, in, in boiling manner. And you are also going to be against a lot of the things that, are, that I'm against. You're going to be against everything I'm against, and everything that's against me is going to be against you. So he's basically telling Jeremiah, your life is not about to be easy. Like this call is not going to be a cool, enjoyable vacation. Uh, this is going to be hard. So there's that. Now that from, verses, from chapters 2 to 6, we see uh, what I'm calling the incomplete revival under King Josiah. So King Josiah came in. He wants revival so bad. He tried to do everything to bring revival in. Uh, he wanted so bad to, to see great revival. He gave it his all. He cleaned up the idolatry, the false worship, poor devotion. We can hear the cry of Jeremiah in these, in these chapters uh, from chapters 2 to 6. Uh, I want to read just a couple of, um, of verses to you. Chapter 3, verse number 10. Um, it says, uh, as, as he's crying out, uh, the people of God are not fully in. And so if you, if you hear um, in chapter 3, verse number 10, the Bible says, um, Yet for all this, um, uh, all, all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense declares the Lord. So he's saying all of these attempts to come back to God and to revive and to, re, to restore Jeremiah is now having to say, it's not, it's not true. They didn't do, it's not real. It's, it's fake. It's not something that's happened. Um, and, uh, and then we see over and in, in just, uh, uh, it, he tells us in chapter four to, uh, that, that Judah needed to wash her heart from all wickedness because it was a heart issue. In chapter four, verse number, I'll read verse number 14. Oh, Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? This is where Jeremiah is as a prophet. See, here's the hard, here's the hard thing. We see the outside, right? God sees the heart. So when God prophesies through Jeremiah, he tells Jeremiah, I want you to speak to this, speak to the heart issue. Don't speak to the outward appearance issue. Because Josiah had had all these great reforms. All these great things were really going on in Judah. The house was packed. There were people showing up to church. There were people showing up to, uh, to, to sacrifice. There were people showing up to do all these things. In fact, Josiah's reign, there was the, 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 one of the biggest Passover meals that had taken place. And he, and he was like, I'm going to put all my chips on the table. I'm, putting, I'm going all in here, trying my best. And Jeremiah kept saying over and over again through these words, that there was, uh, there was no, their heart hadn't been changed. It wasn't a change in their heart. As he, as he sees it, uh, we, we know that Josiah was also the last good king of Judah uh, until Jesus showed up, by the way, and he's, he's, the, he's the last great king of Judah. But in, in the Old Testament, uh, Josiah was the last one that was the good king. There was a few more after him, but they were not the good kings. Um, the, the nation had forgotten everything that was even spoken. Uh, a cop, listen to this, a copy of the scripture was found and, and brought to King Josiah. He, he was weeping over it. The, it, the nation had slid, slid in so bad, there wasn't even a copy of scripture in the king's house. Just think about that. Like, how, how is it that the nation of God's people didn't even have the law, like, 
Print it out somewhere. Like, have it in a copy in a binder somewhere, right? Like, put this thing, some, put it in a safety deposit box or something. Like, how is this not even here? And we, we hear that in Jeremiah in these first few chapters. Um, and we, we know that uh, whenever he found it, we find that story, by the way, in Second Chronicles, which aligns uh, in chapter 34. Uh, it got so bad, not even the king had a copy of it. Josiah tried to restore the temple. And now he tries to restore the law of the, of the people of God. So he, he had two kind of big, strong messages. He saw the temple was in ruins. He tried to restore it, and he tried to put it back together. And he tried to, uh, it had been desolate. It had just been um, uh, just a, a building sitting there. So he tries to fix it, tries to restore it. And then he's got the law of God again, so he's trying, to, he's trying to share it. So it's got these two pieces, the temple and the law. And if you think about it, so the, if you look through the Old Testament, the temple, you know, representing God's house and the law re- resembling God's heart and how he, how he loves people and how he cares for people. So these two elements, Josiah says, I'm going to bring them in. I'm going to bring them together. We're going to put this here in the temple, in the people of God. So we see that in the first, uh, uh, from chapters 2 to 6. Then chapters 7 to 9, uh, something kind of miraculous, again, takes, takes place. Um, we hear Jeremiah speaking and he's crying out uh, and it's, the, it's connected to the temple and the law. If you, if you read through it, you'll hear uh, the temple had been forsaken, the law had been forgotten, and now we can hear those ringing out in these chapters. Um, listen to, uh, listen to, to uh, here's how you can see it play out. Now, I, I love chapter 7. I don't love the words of chapter 7. Chapter 7 is a hard, is a hard one to deal with, but... Um, Jeremiah comes and it says, listen to, ver- listen to chapter 7, just the first couple of verses. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the, uh, the, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Now, so what this means is, I don't want us just to skim over that. That means he wants Jeremiah to stand at the doors of the temple where the crowd has gathered to worship. Now, that's, 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 let's picture it, that's Sunday morning, okay? Everybody's gathered to worship. And he says, here's what I want you to say. And uh, listen, to what he, listen to what he says in, uh, in verse number four. So it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will, put you, uh, I will let you dwell in this place. Listen to verse number four. This is what he says. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. He says, he, he tells the people, he stands there accusing them of worshiping the temple, not the Lord of the temple. He says, you've come in here and you're saying, oh, it's the temple of the Lord, it's the temple of the Lord. And God says, no, this is the temple of you guys. This is where you, you're not, you're worshiping the stuff, not the giver of the stuff. You're, you're false worshiping right now. Like that's what Jeremiah stands up in front of this crowd at the doors and he's yelling at all these people coming into worship and he's like, you're not worshiping the true living God. You're saying this one thing, but you're doing something different. Um, they, they believed, um, and, and you can read down in, in verses 9 through 10 of chapter 7, you can read Jeremiah is, is explaining to us, uh, he gives us a little bit better picture. They, they thought that just because the temple was restored again, they would have the favor of God. That's what they thought. They, they had the same mentality, if you remember from Sunday, and they talk about the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God showing up, and then Israel saying, oh, as long as we take the Ark of God into our, into our battles, we're going to be okay. And God's like, I'm not a, a token that you wear around your neck. I'm, I'm, I'm the God of glory. I am holy. I'm mighty. I'm powerful. My house is where I live. Don't be, don't be trying to, to, to put me into an image. Don't try to craft me into an image, right? So uh, we see that, listen to, listen to verse number 16. Oh my gosh, this is the worst of the worst of the worst. This is, they, had, they hated him so badly, they demanded for Jeremiah to die. Listen to verse 16 of chapter 7. I would love to just like live here for a little while and see why and, and unpack this verse with you because this verse wears me out. It says, as for you, Jeremiah, do not pray for these people or lift up a cry of, or prayer for them and do not intercede with me. I will not hear you. How bad did it have to be that God says, I don't even want you to pray for these people. I don't even want you. If you try to intercede on their behalf, I won't listen to you. That's harsh. 
That is harsh. So now Jeremiah, this man who loves the people of God, loves the people of, of Jerusalem, loves the city of Jerusalem, is told by God, I don't want you to pray for them. Oh my gosh, this is heartbreaking. No wonder this prophet was so sad. It is miserable, miserable, miserable. If you go on into uh, chapters 8 and 9 and, and towards the end of chapter 9, uh, what you'll find <clears throat> is that uh, just how badly Judah had abandoned the law altogether uh, in 9 verses 13 through 16. Um, it's, uh, I mean, God says, because you have forsaken my law that I've set before them and have not obeyed my voice or walked in according to it, but have stubbornly followed their own hearts and have gone after the Baals and their, uh, as their fathers had taught them as a generational thing. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will feed this people with bitter food and give them poisonous waters to drink. I will scatter them among, I don't even want to keep reading, like how Jeremiah could take these words and then share this to people, I don't know. Like that, this, I'm, I could not, I, I, I'm not gonna say, I, I do not wanna be called to that kind of work. Like I don't wanna be called to be this guy that shows up and says, you are so wrong, God's going to poison you. Like that's how, he's asked me not even to pray for you anymore. Like this is a broken hearted situation. This is a broken hearted man that I just don't understand how he can even process. Uh, what we see then as it goes into chapter 10 of Jeremiah, so far it's been, it's been bad news. I keep waiting, honestly, I've read this book dozens of times, and as I keep, I keep turning the page, waiting for like the aha moment, you know, it's like, okay, well, surely it can't get any worse. You know, he's asked Jeremiah not even to pray for people. I'm like, okay, so what does God do next? And then it's like, and next, they have forsaken my law so bad, I'm going to poison them. It's like, oh, well, okay, now, so now what does God do instead? You know, it's like, where's the, where's the good page turn? Um, not there yet. Uh, so in, in chapters 10 through 12, we see this is uh, found whenever the most drastic reforms were carried out. And you can find the stories in Second Chronicles 35, uh, the most drastic reforms. This is like the, the, the culmination of every change. So this was Josiah saying, I am going to force everybody to have revival because I crave it so bad. I want it so bad. We're going to force it. So he, he does this massive Passover. I mean, he brings in thousands of, of bulls, thousands of different, I mean, just brings all these things, big, massive sacrifices, thousands of people there, all kinds of stuff happening. He's like, we're going to do this. All, I'm gonna, we're going to pay for the sins of everybody. All right now, here, here we go. We're going to clean slate this thing. Massive reforms are taking place. It's a big, big deal. And we hear um, this, uh, uh, that... The people just, it just, it still wasn't getting through. It, it wasn't enough. It was almost as if, and which it's true, that the, the services that we do don't produce the right heart. Because it's God that's the one that's in the heart. It's God that takes care of the heart. It's God that convicts. It's not the biggest service that you can provide. It's not the greatest, most creative element you can bring. It's God that brings the change, which is why we should so deeply pray earnestly for people and for our own lives. Josiah tried everything, pulled out all the stops, and you could hear that in chapters 10 through 12. Uh, it's during that season that, uh, that this was going on. Um, and, uh, but the people ultimately were married too deeply to their idols and to the foreign gods. Uh, Jeremiah preached with passion. He preached uh, with power against idolatry to support all the efforts of King Josiah, but ultimately it was all in vain. As I think about that, um, you know, Jeremiah was a good preacher. I mean, he's a good preacher. You can, you can go back and read some of his, the way he said things, the way he did things. He was a good preacher. Listen to the Lord, preach faithfully, and, and people didn't listen. So I don't, you know, I don't judge. I, I used to, whenever I was early on in ministry, I used to think, if people don't respond in the invitation, I'm a bad preacher. Until I read Jeremiah. And I was like, hey, listen, nobody responded to him, and he was the best preacher. This dude could preach fire. It was awesome. And people didn't respond to him, so everybody responds to the gospel every time it's preached. But um, as, we, uh, as, he, as he goes into uh, chapters those 10 through 12, we see that season of like the greatest reforms, but it just wasn't taking hold. We see a deep, deep mourning in, uh, in, in Jeremiah's words through those chapters. And then we see uh, the next section through 13 through 15, Something different happened. 
there were new woes announced, uh, and so you can hear woe to this, woe is this, woe is this. A lot of difficulty. Um, Jeremiah uh, resorts now in chapters 13 through 15 to a different form of, of speaking, and he's now uh, changed to symbolism. So it was very, very direct. It was, the Lord is mad. He is mad. He doesn't like what's going on. He doesn't like you guys anymore. He doesn't like it. He is angry. So now he's going into symbolic teaching to try to try to get through people's minds and hearts that way. Like, how can we how can we bring in a, a more another element? Right. So they've tried now the the reforms. They've tried direct. I mean, Jeremiah just standing at the at the worship center and saying, sorry, uh, you are deceiving yourselves. And this is fake. You are all a bunch of liars is what's going on. You're saying this, but you're acting this way. Not true. And he says, you're, you're just saying, now that the temple's restored, you got military power. Not true. It's not about the temple. It's about the God of the temple. And he's, he's going through all these things. They're not listening. Massive reforms take place. Now he starts, to, he starts to go through symbolism. And then as he goes through symbolism, it didn't work. So then God brought a drought. Now there's like literally no water. Like there's, there's plants, crops dying. And it's like, oh my goodness, this is struggle. This is problems. This is issues. He goes on and on and on, and it's just hard. Then from chapter 15 all the way through about chapter 45, I know that's a huge chunk. We're talking 30 chapters here. In this section, what we find is there's, there's three different um, uh, ways that Jeremiah prophesies. Okay, so there's three different ways. And, and this is very, um, to me, this is the part of this survey that really blew my mind. Because in, in my mind, there's, you know, I, hear, I hear things a certain way. I, I see things a certain way. Um, Jeremiah, in these, in these 30 chapters, what we find is the way his prophecies took hold, the way they had feet, were through signs, through sermons, and through sufferings. You like that? Made S's and not all of them. Um, <laughs> I had to stretch for one of those. But um, there, was, there was like signs of things. And so, um, for instance... This, this large chunk, it's, it's all, these are the prophecies that, by the way, if you can imagine this in, in my, the way my brain looks at it, it's, it's like you start out in Jeremiah with this like call of Jeremiah, and then like here's where it's going gonna, gonna to be boiling hot, it's going to be right next door, it's going to be it's the first thing that you see after the winter is over, it's like this is happening real quick, here we go. And then he starts in this journey, and you can almost see like his intensity is really high. And you see like Josiah trying to do things and, and Jeremiah seeing it fall and him trying to do more and they try to fall and almost like this wave of like things. Th from this section, I just see a constant decline until the fall of Jerusalem. Like it is just, it's a constant, more, it, it's, people are getting more deluded to it. People are not listening. And so there's multiple ways. There's these signs that happen. There's these sufferings that happen. So these, these prophecies were embodied by these different uh, uh, avenues, right? So these different ways to communicate this. The first thing we see in chapter 16, he talks about himself being alone. He talks about suffering, uh, just, like, just like the nation will be alone in suffering. They say, they, you've turned your back on God, God's mad. He says, I'll leave you to yourself. I'll leave you to yourself. And then guess what? You're going to be suffering. You're going to be in desolation. You're not going to be connected to me and it's going to break your heart. And you're going to be alone and alone is terrible. It's awful. You don't want to be alone. We see in chapter 18, if you keep, keep reading, uh, and there's, again, there's sins of Judah that keeps getting brought up and there's um, most of the, 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 the continued things. There's every now and then you'll read just a little, like a couple of verses of hope and you're like, oh, Israel's going to be restored. It's like, oh, wait, not anytime soon. That's not an almond tree. That's a uh, whatever's the last thing, right? The last thing that shows up after the winter is what that will be. Uh, what you'll see in chapter 18, you'll see a, a couple of uh, uh, sermons or a couple of illustrations. Uh, we see the potter's house, pretty cool. Uh, the potter and the clay. Here's what I love about this. You can, I can, I'm, picturing, I'm picturing Jeremiah standing watching a potter. And here's what, here's what that illustration was. He's watching this potter and he's shaping this vase. And he's got it on the wheel and he's spinning it. And you can just see the potter's hands just muddy from the clay, right? And just putting pressure. And so Jeremiah is saying, I see the potter puts pressure on this, on this clay the whole time. The hand is, and it has to force, the, the harder the hand forces, 
the more the clay shapes, right? And you can, you can just see this. And it's like, oh, wow, this is a cool symbolism. This is awesome. I love this story so far. Man, you can just watch the potter as he's, the mind, as he's thinking, I want this shape to be here. I want this shape to be here. And he's got to apply pressure. Okay, pressure's going to hurt, but man, it'll be shaped. It'll be great. And then, out of nowhere, the potter breaks the clay. Just breaks it. And then he, keep, he starts shaping it into something new. Like, that's what Jeremiah says. Like, talk about a br- draw you in for that moment. If, imagine if I sat up here on Sunday morning, and I had this little potter's wheel, and I just start clay, and I'm, just, I'm just making it shape, and it's this beautiful thing. And then I was just like, bam, and just crushed it. And I was like, didn't like that. Start something new. Like, everybody's going to be like, what in the world is going on? And so what we see in this, uh, in this, this, this chapter 18, we see this, uh, the whole thing is destroyed. It says that it's spoiled. Well, how is it spoiled if it's in the hand of the potter, unless the potter was the one that spoiled it, right? The potter is the one that, that destroys this and then builds a new vessel out of it. And so uh, it's, it's a, again, a prophecy, not one I'm willing to like jump in and be like, hey, here's, here's, I could not imagine if I was up here and be like, here's new providence. And God's like shaping us, shaping us. And he takes his elbow and he just crushes us. And then he's like, I'm going to make it something new. Uh, it's a hard thing to have to listen to. It's a hard thing to have to deal. Uh, in chapter 20, if you keep reading, again, these are just some different ways that the symbols and the signs and, and the sufferings and the sermons and all this are going on. Um, there's, a, there's a broken flask that happens in chapter 20. It's, it's really great. We'd love to spend, or chapter 19, we'd love to spend some time there. But uh, I, I want to push in on chapter 20. Because chapter 20, uh, he gets, so Jeremiah gets persecuted by this guy, and he says he's put into stocks. And these stocks, I, I did some research on these stocks. He's put in these stocks that are, it's these it's this wooden, wooden beams that have five holes in it. A hole for your head, two holes for your arms, and two holes for your feet. But your body, the way they would do this, is your body would be so contorted that it would cramp up the whole time you're in them. Like the, the whole time. And so as he's in these stocks in chapter 20, his body's all bent up, legs are all, all I mean, imagine, like, I'm, I, it hurts me thinking about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, all cramped up and all broken. And it is a, it is a symbol, it's the suffering that the nation is going to go through. So much so, and listen, and Jeremiah, you don't mess with Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah gets out of this thing, and he even tells the guy, the, the guy that's tormented him, he said, and there's a double dose coming for you, big boy. Like, he, so he tells him. He's like, he's like, man, you're like threatening this guy. Let's go. Okay. That's a, uh, that's a harsh, harsh word. But he's, he's, it's, it's again, it's another prophecy, even just by the way he, God is using this guy as his mouthpiece however he chooses. And he says, I'm going to use him by, by his life is going to suffer. His, um, his words are going to be a very suffering, difficult word. His, uh, the signs that I'm going to perform around him are going to be uh, signs of, of destruction and, 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 and doom to come. And he said, I'm going to put him in stocks, and it's going to be all, all contorted because I want the nation to know that you're, this is what I'm putting you through. I'm going, to, I'm going to crush you because you've been so far away from me, and it's been miserable. Uh, and if you, if you just continue to read all through, and he's, he's talking about more and more prophecies about uh, things that are to come and um, how the, uh, the Jerusalem will, is going to fall. It's going to fall to Nebuchadnezzar. He, I mean, all these things are, are, are in, the, in the, the forefront of his mind. Um, he gets thrown down into a cistern in chapter 38. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll jump back in just a minute too. But in chapter 38, he gets thrown into a cistern. Um, and there's like deep mud. It's like a dungeon type thing. There's like, there's deep mud in the bottom of this thing. And it's so bad, he's like sinking in the mud. And as that's going on, he, there's an Ethiopian eunuch that shows up and asks King Zedekiah. And Zedekiah, now we're, we're years in. Zedekiah is, uh, is there. He asks him to, to show mercy on Jeremiah. He says, hey, let's pull him out of there so he doesn't starve to death. And like, we're, we're praising this eunuch because it's like, well, that's really nice of you. And I'm like, man, why did Jer- Jeremiah's life, it was terrible. Like, that's terrible. I can't imagine being thrown down into a, an empty cistern and start sinking in the mud, knowing I'm going to starve to death down there or thirst to death. And yet um, this, this, this guy shows up, this eunuch shows up and says, hey, I, I want you to, to rescue this guy. So they rescue him. Zedekiah, by the way, just as a side note, was a really weak leader. He was a, um, he was kind of a, a just a uh, pansy. He just, he was just weak. Nobody, he was not a good leader. Um, but as, as Jeremiah was down there, again, he was, he was then rescued out of there. Like, 
at some point, if I'm Jeremiah, I'm like, just leave me. <laughs> just leave me be. This is miserable. This is hard. This is terrible. I don't want this life anymore. Please let me go home. Um, but the, uh, and, and again, this is where, like, as I read more and more through the book of Jeremiah, I realized he was, he was a good preacher. I mean, this guy, he, and by good, he was, he was ferociously obedient to God's word. Like, that, that was, it didn't mean everybody was going to respond. It didn't mean anybody was going to respond. I mean, he was ferociously obedient. I, I just love that, that thought and that phrase. Um, and here, here's where I'll say, here's why I think he was a good preacher. So he was, he was obedient to God's word, but the people in his day didn't respond to it. Did anybody ever respond to it? Well, in chapter 25, we hear him preaching a message. And so in Jeremiah 25, specifically uh, verses 11 and 12 um, of that sermon, he, I say sermon, it was a prophecy. He was talking about the captivity of Babylon. Now, he mentioned in 25, in Jeremiah 25, that uh, there would be 70 years of, ca- of captivity. I want you to think about this for just a minute. This, is, this, one, this, this rattles me a bit. So he says there's going to be 70 years of captivity in Babylon. So let's, let's, let's move there on our timeline. So if we move there on a timeline, I don't want to jump into this too much because we're going to get into it whenever we study another book in the Bible. There's this guy that's in Babylon named Daniel. And you know, Daniel was reading Scripture, and he was reading specifically in Jeremiah his words about the 70 years of captivity. And it spurred Daniel on to pray towards the end of that 70 years. I want you to think about this. Jeremiah was faithful, and he he gave exactly what the Lord told him to give. And then years later, years later, after they were in captivity, after they were in captivity 70 years, Daniel's reading the scripture. He sees something, it ignites a fire in him so much that he says, Lord, may we be the ones. May this be the day. May, may, we're, we're coming to the end. It's been almost 70 years since we've been in Babylon in captivity. And your word says, well, how did that word come through? Because Jeremiah was a faithful prophet. Because he was a faithful man willing to share God's word. He, he also preached about some times in chapter 30 that haven't happened yet. I don't know if y'all are, are really jumping into uh, to Jeremiah much, but he talks about some things that are, that are still to come. And I'm, let me tell you, I read it and I'm like, that's going to come true. That's going to happen. There's, depending on your, your view of eschatology and how the end times happen, uh, there's, a, a, there's a time where he talks about a great tribulation. There's a time he talks about a millennial kingdom and these, these things that are going to come. And Jeremiah was faithful to the word, and it's going to be true. Now, my interpretation of it may be wrong, but I'll tell you one thing, the word's not wrong. It's not. I may have my, I may have my dates confused a little bit. I may have my understanding uh, skewed a little bit by my own frame of culture. But what I do know is God's word has never come up wrong, ever. And Jeremiah was a good preacher because he stuck clear to what God's word said. He prophesied to the nations by these signs and these sermons and, oh my gosh, by the sufferings. I just hate that for the guy. Um, we uh, flip through as we continued reading on uh, in chapters 46 to 51, we now see a shift. Uh, we hear a shift, and again, I'm kind of waiting on the really good shift, right? I'm waiting on the one that's like, yeah, now the Lord comes in and conquers everybody. Um, poor Jeremiah. Uh, we, shift, we shift now to some prophecies about uh, the, the Gentile nations. Um, these are, uh, his attention is turned to the Gentile nations. Uh, he turns to Egypt, Moab, Amnon, Ammon, uh, Edom, Damascus, Elam, and Babylon uh, are the, the, the Gentile nation that he addresses, Gentile nations he addresses. Um, the two really big ones here are Egypt and Babylon. I don't want to uh, over, I don't want to say the other ones don't matter. They do, and they did, and they are, and they, it's all good. Um, but the two big ones were, were Egypt and Babylon, because Egypt had had some, some, some push and some pull in Judah when they shouldn't have, um, and the, the, Ju- the, the, the people of Judah were kind of fascinated by Egypt, and they were, uh, they were overwhelmed by like their power and their, their, their prestige. Um, as, uh, and 
what you'll see is that whenever Jeremiah speaks against English, speaks against uh, Egypt, the people of Judah hate it. I mean, they hate it. They, they are so angry about it. And it's because the people of Judah were leaning on Egypt for their military. So the people of Judah said, as long as Egypt's in our back pocket, we're safe. And Jeremiah says, I don't care if every country in the world is in your back pocket. If God is not for you, you lose. Like you are not, you're not safe. Like unless God is for you, and God has already told me he is not for you right now. He is against what you're doing and you keep calling out. And we see over and over again, there's some major problems. Uh, these, world colla- these world powers, are um, they caused all these major problems in Judah. You had Babylon trying to come down and, tra- and trap. You had Egypt coming up. And, and honestly, Judah was in the middle of these two nations and these two superpowers. And so Judah was really kind of a pawn in these battles. Like they were, they were, so now the people of God that were supposed to be the, the kings, the ones that were, that were showing all of God's glory, the house of David, the line of David still on the throne in Judah. And now this nation of God has been shrunk down to this pawn. And now the nations are toying with it. Like I cannot imagine being, as I'm looking at this, like hearing Jeremiah's words and seeing, I, I can't imagine seeing heaven and God being like, they're supposed to be who's representing me. And the world is toying with them. They're just, they're playing with my people. I, this is not okay. God is not okay with this. He, he, we see this happening. Judah's leaders were leaning so heavy on Egypt because of their military power. And, you know, if you, if you can remember back to our study, Egypt is the one that killed Josiah. Egypt's the one that did that. And then they captured his son. And then they, they, put, they made political moves and put somebody in power in Judah that they could manipulate. Like, that's what Egypt was doing. Like, what, and, and the people of Judah are like, they're just like, oh, well, they're, you know, Egypt's our, they're our friends. They helped us when we were in this political thing. They killed your king. What are you talking about? They didn't help you. This is not somebody. And what happens is there's deception that comes in, right? It's, it's the enemy deceives. That's his, that's his game. He deceives. He makes you think something that isn't true. Egypt is the, the a symbol of disobedience every time. And so Jeremiah was telling them, Egypt can't save you. Um, but what they, the, the, the people of Judah, they said, well, you don't understand. Egypt's the most powerful people in the world. And, Ju- and Jeremiah's like, Egypt can't save you. I'm like, save us from who? From God. God's not happy. He's not happy. And it's going to be ugly. What we see uh, in, as these judgments come in these chapters, what we see is in chapters 51, 50 and 51, um, we start to see something, uh, another, again, kind of shift to the people of Babylon. And here's what, uh, what happens in these last few chapters of Jeremiah. We see the coming doom of Babylon. Ultimately, Babylon will fall. Here, here's what I want to note. Up until now, in Jeremiah, throughout the Old Testament, in, in, these, in this season of the kings... And these, uh, these, these seasons of reforms and revivals and all this stuff, Babylon has been seen as a tool for God's judgment, which means God has used the evil kings and, and evil uh, uh, um, uh, military and, and people of Babylon to, to uh, correct Judah, to discipline Judah. So God has used Babylon as a tool. But ultimately... Here's what we see in chapters 50 and 51. Um, Babylon has to fall too. See, God can use them as a tool and then destroy them whenever it's all said and done because they were still evil. They, did, they were not what God wanted to do. Babylon would fall. We see the greatest deta- detail of that fall right here in these chapters. Um, in chapter 51, <laughs> I want to read just these last couple of verses, 60 through 64 of uh, chapter 51. Listen, listen to this exclamation point. This is fantastic. Uh, it says, when you come to Babylon, this is uh, verse 61 of chapter 51 and through the end of the chapter. Um, it says that uh, whenever you see, when you come to Babylon, see that you read all these words and say, O Lord, you have said concerning this place that you will cut it off so that nothing shall dwell in it, neither man nor beast and it shall be desolate forever. 
When you finish reading this book, tie a stone to it, cast it in the midst of the Euphrates, and say, Thus shall Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster that I am bringing upon her, and they shall become exhausted. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. (laughs) Wow. Uh, God is saying, these people, yeah, I'll use them to do what I need to do, but then I'm going to cut them off. You're not going to remember Babylon existed. You're not going to know who they are. Now, this was before Babylon had conquered them. This is before Babylon. Imagine Jeremiah saying these things to the people of God being like, why are, you, why are you so doom and gloom, man? Every time Jeremiah shows up, people are like, here comes this guy again, <laughs> right? It's like somebody put tape over his mouth. Like, let's shut this guy up. We don't want to hear anything else negative anymore. Um, what we see then in chapter 52 is we see all the things that broke Jeremiah's heart. Everything, as this book ends, um, it, we see the things that happen. We hear the breaking of his heart. We see um, in fact, there's, there's some scholars that believe that chapter 52 was written by a different person because Jeremiah couldn't even put these words down. Um, there's a different tone in it, but historically, this is what happens in chapter 52. And we see it, we hear it, the terrible doom, the, the way the temple gets burned, it's all, all bad. Um, so how do, we, uh, how do we reconcile this? How do I end this Bible study without it being super sad? <laughs> I found it. Here it is. You ready? This is, the, this is the, the reason you came. This is worth the price of admission today. Jeremiah was the man of sorrows in the Old Testament. Man of sorrows in the Old Testament. Um, but there was a man of sorrows in the New Testament. I want to look at Jesus' words in Matthew 23, verses 37 and 38. The Bible says, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus was the man of sorrows in the New Testament. Now, Jeremiah was a brief shadow of of what Jesus would be, but we see this man whose heart was broken over the people and the city of Jerusalem. And then we see um, just a few years later, a couple pages later in my Bible, we see the man of sorrow shows up that loves his people, that loves the city of Jerusalem and uh, is broken over her rejection of him and her rejection of what the Lord wants. Uh, I hope and pray as we uh, continue through this survey in the scripture, um, I would say it's not all doom and gloom. Let's get through the minor prophets. <laughs> Let's get out of that, and then we'll see uh, some things coming. But um, Lamentations is a tough one. It's a tough one to read. Uh, the minor prophets are, are um, a lot of history that happens in these days. Uh, I guess the encouraging thought for today is uh, be on God's side. Just, 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 just be on God's side. That way uh, we don't end up um, getting told not to be prayed for. That would be that one. That one stuck out to me pretty heavy this week as I was thinking about it, um, because I, I like to pray for for our people. I like to pray. I like to go to God. I like to intercede on people's behalf. Whenever you can't pray for yourself, I love to go pray for you. And to hear the righteous anger of God burning so bad because the people had gone so far away, they've forgotten. They they left his temple in ruins. They left his law. Forgot all about it. Like I don't want to be a people that forgets about who God is. I don't, because I don't want him to have to remind me, because that never seems to work out well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for all that you teach us through the book of Jeremiah. 